Though more of us are getting used to the idea that ET contact is a reality and inclusive of the human experience, there are some accounts that fall into this category which are still very difficult to grasp. One such story involves a man named Bill Brooks, who at 44 years of age began having spontaneous recall of what could only be described as lifelong contact with non-human intelligence. But his recollections didn't stop there. Amid this bizarre string of visits that began roughly at the age of three, were a collection of synchronistic, though strange encounters woven into the consistent backdrop of ET contact, like visits from Men in Black, Freemason and Rosicrucian involvement, and the witnessing of a mass abduction while serving in the military. Someone who knows Bill Brooks' story in explicit detail, and in fact co-wrote a book with him simply entitled 44, An Ex-Soldier's True Story, is Joanne Summerscales. I spoke with Joanne to get some insight into what can only be called an odyssey of enormous depth. You know, Joanne, I have to tell you, I really struggled to figure out how to open up the discussion we're about to have. The story that you're going to be sharing with us is without question one of the most bizarre and complex I've ever heard. This is the true story about a man who realized at the age of 44 that he had been having contact with what I call non-human intelligence all of his life. But it certainly doesn't either begin or end there. I mean, the twists, the turns, the tumult, the challenge, and the torment that this man has been through is unimaginable. And although there's no way we could do his story full justice in this one show, here's what I want to do. Uh, Rather than go any further at this point, I want to set up the discussion with a clip from a recent interview I did with our mutual friend and colleague, Miguel Mendoza. And uh, it was through him that I learned about the story of Bill Brooks and the book that you co-wrote with him, simply called 44. So let's have a listen, and we'll be right back. Here's two cases. Uh, Bill Brooks, former soldier, um, I think it was a commando. Uh, He co-wrote a book with giant giant summer scales called 44 you'll find it on amazon it's out there and it is out there it is by far the craziest it's like the world heavyweight champion of out there experience of stories and i'll say no more than that um Hmm. it is the wildest ride i have ever ever heard of anybody involved in this in this subject area and he knew precisely zero about this until he hit 44 years of age and it all came back to him in instantaneously a lifetime of contact right so there's that there's the instantaneous recall and he had no interest his brother um Hmm. his brother as kids um really had a problem with him because bill absolutely did not recognize what his brother was saying when he's saying well you know they keep coming the little men blah 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 um however he phrased it his brother was having conscious contact and and i believe went to his grave um (sighs) upset that uh, Bill d- never recognized it, mm-hmm. never said, yeah, okay, I remember it. Um, 
but at that point bill had not had the download it didn't come until he was 44 and there are so many details it is just the wildest you know i have to say i concur with miguel completely bill's story is one hell of a wild ride now i haven't managed to fully complete the book as yet but you better believe i will <laughs> i had to tear myself away from this story joanne which i could only describe as a complete odyssey so let's get right into this first if you would, I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you learned about Bill's story and ultimately how you came together to co-write this book. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you, Alex, and thanks you, uh, Alexis, and thank you for having me on your show. It's wonderful to be here, too. Well, Bill, um, I had uh, been running in the UK a support um, resource a project called Amash, and um, it, I provided uh, a a line, a contact, a website, so people with anomalous experiences, including the ET stuff, could connect if they so wished. And in the meantime, I was doing one-to-one -one interviews, radio and TV, uh, camera, and so uh, people had seen some of my work. And anyway, Bill, uh, back in 2012, had was in dire straits, health-wise and every witch-wise, and he had also then had a week where he'd suffered several heart attacks mm. and strokes, mm. all in one go. And he, um, this is um, 20 or so years after the 44 years of age download, and he just thought, you know what, I want to find someone who will listen to me, at least hear my story, because in the past he had been rebuffed by some researchers and he just happened to see me talking about a military uh, experiencer and thought, as he's an ex-soldier, thought, right, this lady sounds like she would be up for listening to me. So that's how the connection started. He called me, and when I began to hear some of the unraveling of the story, he'd never actually had an opportunity to tell anyone completely before, mm -hmm. and actually, a lot of the retelling was also very traumatic for him. Wow, I can wow. imagine. So, so it, it, it was incredible because, you know, um, people often ask me, and, and maybe yourself, Alexis, you know, how do you know this is real? Oh, I'm telling you, you don't have that much trauma and that much pain and come back with the same story over and over and over again um, if you're lying. You just don't, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. and, and then I got to uh, meet Bill, and we talked uh, uphill, downdale through what he had been through. And over the years, over the, we, we it was almost four years it took to get the story out because during some of the story telling, as I said, he, he became quite ill just through some of the memories. And sometimes we'd had a few months when we couldn't work just because he needed to recover. Such was the um, level of trauma that it had reflected back. Wow. So wow. what a brave man. Absolutely. Well, that's that's great, Joanne. Um, and by the way, folks, if you if Joanne sounds a little bit different to you this time around, we had a little bit of feedback, so we had to take a little break so she could put some headphones on for us. So, and she's sounding fabulous now, and as she should, because there's a lot of detail that she is going to be divulging to all of us uh, today, uh, based on Bill Brooks' story. But you know, listen, before we get into the crux of how his download of recalling lifelong ET contact happened, Joanne. I'd like to start by having you describe uh, what his first contact experience was like. I, I know he goes into this in the book, and I believe he starts out by just sort of uh, 
chronicling several of them. I think his first one, as he describes it, was at three years old. Yes, I mean, it might have been even two. We're not quite sure. He says if it wasn't two, it was three. I just, he really can't recall exactly. Mm. So two or three, a little toddler. And um, where he lives or lived in that time, um, you have to remember that in the UK, it was still rationing, believe it or not. Rationing continued until 50, I think 50s, early 50s. And so it was a very poor area and um, it was quite bombed out still. And so everybody was, um, you know, kind of looking after other people too. So it was that kind of a neighborhood. Anyway, this little chap, Young young Bill was put out, and now his auntie got an auntie who'd got enough money to buy him a little jeep. Wow, one of those that little kitty can sit on. And he was uh, put outside, and he was fully dressed. I mentioned that for a reason. And um, just as you might put a little one out in a pram, and he was just left just in eyesight, in in view. And um, the next thing is there's a full mass panic, and and there's a big search on because young Bill is missing. Now, what had happened is that what he remembered is that he saw something caused him to look skyward. And he remembers seeing a rather large cigar shaped object. And he only remembered this again during the download when he was 44. So that's what he saw. He didn't remember anything else. And in the memory loss, he doesn't retain any information about what happened during the panic time when he seemed to have disappeared. But he was found a few streets away, which is impossible for this youngster. Mm. I mean, it would have been absolutely impossible. So it was as if he had been taken and put down somewhere else, Jeep and all. He was still on his little Jeep. But interestingly enough, he was naked. Oh. And now, it, you know, it was a poor place. So people say, well, maybe they stole his clothes. Well, if they stole his clothes, why didn't they steal his little Jeep? Because that was quite, you know, that was an unusual item toy for anybody to have in the area with the level of poverty that he grew up in. Mm -hmm. So that one doesn't work either. And often people have been taken, um, and put back without clothing or clothing Mm -hmm. on the wrong way or somebody else's clothing. Yes. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was his very, very first memory. And I actually think that, that things have happened before uh, because certainly some strange things happened during his childhood years. And um, yeah, um, I don't that. know, uh, I'll let you um, decide where we go with the next part of the story. But yeah. that it was amazing for, a, you know, a little one. And, uh, and of course, he, he had no idea. And it was only later on as an adult when he you know, said to his mom, asked her to, you know, kind of remember what happened. And she told him this whole story. The mother. His, uh, yeah, Bill, Bill's, Bill's mother. Okay. She, um, she told him um, the story. They, he had some very weird stuff going on. And one of the weird things, and this may not sound very unusual, being that it wasn't that uncommon, but his step uncle, mm. or his uncle, let me say his uncle, um, was uh, a Nazi. <laughs> and mm. you say, what? In the, in the West Midlands of the UK, where do you get a Nazi from? Well, he was a prisoner of war and he had been one of the guys, and this wasn't unusual, you know, he'd been put to work digging whatever. Uh, and he'd married um, one of the sisters, his mother's sisters. And he said he remembered 
that he was very good to the kids. Mm -hmm. But there is a link which I don't want to take you to, Alex, which, which flags up his background in another part of the story to do mm -hmm. with his cousin. So I'll just leave it at that okay. as a little okay. hang-up. That's hang a good because, teaser. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because um, it, it is a fascinating point. Listen, I, I will say this. We're, there's no way we could do his story justice in this one hour, for, for goodness sakes, probably five or six shows. But one yeah. thing I will say, and you just threw out a little, a little teaser for us there, is that it seems that every... Uh, relationship, whether family, friend, or stranger that Bill comes across or who's in his life, there is some uh, interconnection that is, again, the odyssey is the only word I can use. So I, I can't see where any one of these stories that he recounts are not connected in some very strange way. So we'll yeah. leave it there. It's so tempting to just dive in. And for, for the sake of the audience, I just want to make sure we can kind of keep it because they're, they may or may not be familiar with the story. And, uh, you know, I'm going to plug this book right off the bat. You, you got to go out and read it. You got to go out and get it and read this book. But let's try to stick with um, a bit of the chronology that I'd like to get to. I want to, I want to talk about, um, his experiences, a multitude, a lifetime of experiences with, again, what I call non-human intelligence or NHI, there were there's several species apparently involved, including the Nordics and, yes, even the reptilians. Can we talk about that? Oh, yeah, what? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. These, the, the only time that he met the Nordics, and we're just calling them that because it's what's become kind of a cultural meme. Mm -hmm. um, they, they might be something else, but we'll just call them the Nordics for the sake of, you know, calling them something, <laughs> clarity. Um, when he was five, just first off, he, he was in a woods. He's a great nature boy. Mm -hmm. He was in the woods and he was very fascinated with nature and had a has a great affinity with, affinity with nature still. And he was um, just scooping out the little new and you know they kind of look very prehistoric those little guys and just putting them back he wasn't harming them and he noticed a group of four people and it looked like a family group as his little five-year-old eyes could uh, you know deduce and he said they were all in those all-in-one suits now this would have been 1955 so pretty unusual for people to be wearing all-in-ones but he didn't take too much notice but what they said to him was really absolutely fascinating. Mm. You know, you're thinking of the time, you're thinking about what's been happening on the planet, lots of bombs being going off, testing, all the rest of that. We're in 1955 and this young boy is being told by the Nordics, listen, please don't take the newts out of the pond, they are endangered and please tell your little friends and his little friends would actually take these little guys home and, you know, maybe have them as pets and maybe they die and all the rest of that. So please don't take them because they're endangered and, and they need to be left where they are. And Bill says he remembered, he didn't really remember very much else of what was said, but he's, and I, you know, in my questioning of him about where he thought they came from, how they introduced themselves, they didn't seem to do any of that to this little five-year-old. He said, but I, they must have said something about space because I remember telling my little friends that the space people had told me to tell them to please not take the newts. Wow. And he said, and, and they didn't. So that was his very 
first experience, but the major, one of the most major experiences of his life happened another five years later in, we think it's 1960, could be nine years, uh, you know, 1959, but, and this was in the similar locale. This is in the West Midlands of the UK, uh, Wordsley near Stourbridge for anybody who wants to go and check out on a map. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you want me to go into that next story, Alexis, just yet, or whether you have any I comments so. you want to make. I, th- I think so. Again, you know, right. as I was sort of preparing for our talk, I thought, oh, my gosh, I, I've got to try to keep it straight here because there's just chock full of <sighs> stories. Um, so why not? Let's Events. go into the, the, the there are two reptilian encounters that I can recall Um, one having to do with near a body of water, I believe. Um, Um, yeah, you take it from there. Let me have you go from there. Indeed. Do you want me to just preface that with the Nordics? Because the Nordic, okay. So, um, so, um, Bill's, um, family situation, and I'm just prefacing that this very briefly, just to give you a background, because that's why he was doing and where, doing what he was doing and where he, why he was where he was. So he had a little sister and his job was to take her to school. She was only a little toddler. Um, so he would take her to school and pick her up. And he was the man of the house because his dad was working away and he had another brother who was severely physically disabled, mm-hmm. not mentally. He was almost born with a stomach out of the body. Mm-hmm. And the hospital had told his mother to let him die. The mother being a mum, was never going to do that. So she was backwards and forwards to hospital in this extreme case with her poor son. So it was Bill's job to look after the house, prepare food, do the housework and look after his little sister. So when he had time off, this nature boy would go off to the fields, to the crop areas, to the woods and just really relax and connect with nature. I mean, birds and animals used to come around him. He had this amazing energy for animals. Mm. Anyway, so his dad had always told him off about bedding himself down in the hay or the crop, whatever, and said, you know, one day, boy, you're going to get run over by the combine harvester. But anyway, little Bill, being Bill, would never take any notice. So the crop was up and he'd we don't know what the crop was. We're assuming it might have been corn. It's now laid to grass only after this event all those years ago. Mm-hmm. And he made himself a little bed. And as he's lying there looking up, chilling out, this little boy sees this very large sphere, which he thought looks like a balloon. It was white and it was opaque and it was spinning. And he thought, well, how peculiar. And, um, and then another one came whizzing over joined it and these were identical as far as we can tell and then they started whizzing around one another and then whizzing around the locale and then they disappeared out of his uh, line of vision so he stood up to see where they'd gone and they'd gone but as he stood up he noticed that in different areas the crop was flat and he was actually standing in one of the first (laughs) crop circles that might be called a modern crop circle Hmm. all those years ago and what he saw in the field beyond was a very strange, unusual looking craft. Now, he said they were very, as I said, very poor. So very few people had cars. So any kind of a vehicle was a massive draw of interest. Sure. sure. So um, anyway, as he's looking at the vehicle, he's also observing a family. He calls them. He assumes it's a family of four, mum and dad and two kids coming toward him. And 
of course, you have to remember at this time, he doesn't remember the five-year-old experience. He's seeing these people for the first time, as he thinks. Okay. And they're coming toward him and start engaging him in conversation. He doesn't remember everything. But the first thing that they seem to, he seems to recollect they said, and they were looking around cautiously, was had he seen any reptiles or reptiles? Mm. He can't remember the word. But he said, you know, I might not have even known that word at that time. He had no education, this young man, either at any age. And um, but because he knew the area like the back of his hand and he hadn't seen anything unusual, he just assumed that nothing had been seen. And he said so, you know, that might have concerned them, these reptilians. So when he said no, they sort of visibly relaxed. And then they told him they were asking, talking to him about the planet and they told him categorically that the planet was in trouble. And if he could, would he help? Well, like any little excited person, he said, yes, yes, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And they just said, you will know at the time. Now, there probably was other conversation that, that ensued, but he doesn't recall all of it. But then they asked him if he'd like to go for a ride in their ship. Yeah. And um, he said, yes. And I said, I said, really? I said, are you kidding me? I said, what? You know, come on. He said, look, he said, I'd just seen um, Flash Gordon and believed it. He said, so I just thought it was like that. Oh, my God. Which is so sweet. I mean, and this is how, they, you know, it's an innocent. Right. So he said they were very friendly. And he thinks they spoke to him like we speak to one another because he said, I didn't notice anything different. And I think I would have if it had been different. This was just a normal little kid. So off he goes with them and mum and dad leave him with the two kids who proceed to move these two little balls or spheres around the size of, say, cricket balls with their mind. And he's observing that and there's a a little sphere or ball on the floor in front of him and they urge him to also try and do the same thing. And, And he's sure that he can't do it, but he has a go anyway and sure enough, he does it. He's controlling the ball with his mind, though he says as a rider, I'm sure they did it because I can't That's do right. it down I here. That's right. I remember reading that. He was doubting that <laughs> he had the ability to do it and thought maybe they could kind of finagle that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, let me just say something because I know I, I don't, I don't want to uh, cut you off totally because I, I think there's more to that story even. But just a the, little. The idea of these children, Joanne, particularly what Mary Rodwell refers to as the new human or new children, the star seeds. Yeah that are coming to this planet with these amazing abilities, including but not limited to uh, um, levita- not just levitation, but uh, yes. what, what am I what am I saying here? Um, telepathy, well, kinetic, obviously, uh, psychokinetic, PK, exactly, yeah. psychokinetic and telekinetic abilities. Yeah. Um, not to mention the fact that although portrayed as fiction in the now famous movie The Matrix, we see the little boy giving the advice about it's not you, it's not the spoon that bends, but your mind. So I say all that to say that this seems to be somewhat of a relatively classic. Uh, but perhaps more common, if you can, phenomenon than we think. So perhaps they were able to uh, put him in that mode, that frequency in which he was able to to do something like that. To, yeah. to and also may, maybe the gravitational environment was slightly different. Yes. Ah, and, good um, and, and also, you know, I, I won't tell the story, but when he was about nine, only about a year or so before, he had um, 
you know, done some training on this with some Mormons, interestingly enough. Really? Brought to him um, by the Rosicrucians. But I won't go into to that, but I, I just think it's absolutely bizarre. The Americans had an interest in this youngster from a very, very young age. And I don't know how, it's a whole mystery to me how he was ever marked out as somebody of interest because it was from a child and you think, wow, you know, how does that work? I don't understand that part. I, I don't have any um, awareness of how yeah, that happened. That, that, but, but anyway, absolutely astonishing story. Thank you for bringing that up because yet again, for those in the audience who are familiar with, uh, I, I don't want to say similar stories, but stories that are equally um, bizarre and all of these connections that in uh, normal reality wouldn't make sense, may be familiar with this idea of uh, identifying and pegging uh, what will become or whom, who are very, very uh, advanced kids in terms of their psi abilities. This is not the first time I've heard this, frankly. Yeah. Um, you know, you do wonder how is it, what is the mechanism by which whomever, the Rosicrucians, the Freemasons, and, and more, as well yeah. as uh, some military organizations sure. uh, able to identify these young ones uh, as people of interest in that regard. And I can only imagine some of the advanced technologies they may have, uh, both, uh, you know, technologies we think of technology as well as inner technology, uh, yeah. including yeah, their own paranormal abilities to be able to identify. So anyway, just wanted to bring that up. Uh, continue. Let's go back to yeah. the spacecraft here. This so, so then mum and dad come and uh, take him into another room where there is um, an, an object. Um, it is a structure. It's about um, three and a half foot tall. It's cylindrical, opaque. And on the top of it is almost like um, what I might call a cake dome, a, uh, maybe perspex, maybe glass. And, under, so, and it's about a foot and a half tall. So um, as you look, look you can see through it and there is um an object in there and in the uk i don't know if it's the same in the us but there used to be something called a, a little spinning top and mm -hmm. it was a little object looked very much like a ufo absolutely had a little uh, top on the uh, press down thing on the top and you pressed it and it spun like mm -hmm. crazy i know it. well <laughs> this is what this looked like inside under this um you know um transparent dome and dad was standing over it he must have been quite tall because i think the whole object was uh, between five and five and a half foot tall and dad was uh, a good good bit over that and he was talking to young uh, bill about revolutions well bill had no education he didn't know what revolutions were and um it, but he did observe that as it spun faster and faster it began to move in and out of visibility which was really interesting mm. And then um, they said about him going for a little ride and he said he'd love it. And so as it began spinning faster and faster, it actually completely disappeared. And as it did, in the ship, there was a round window, which uh, the mum was standing beside, and he could see the image of the earth receding as they went at a rate of knots. And then he also observed a look of what he interpreted as concern between mom and dad. And she said, we have to take you back now. And that's what they did. And when he came back, he thought this was perfectly normal, perfectly ordinary Bless his and had no memory of it again until he was 44. 44. But 
But the, what amazing thing is when he said, will I ever see you again, as he was leaving them, they said, just look to the clouds, right. which he has done ever since. And to his knowledge, he hasn't seen the Nordics since he was 10 years old. So for over, you know, 50 years. What do you think, Joanne? Now, immediately off the bat, I'm thinking he may have more recollection, as you told me offline, that he's still to this day uh, having recall. But do you think that the the Nordic, particularly this family, um, that there were multiple visits? What what do you kind of sense? What do you read? What do you think? Because he's had interaction with um, the greys, the shadow beings, Mm. the Nordics, as well as the reptilians, I don't know whether there is some kind of protocol going on where they, you know, whether there is um, a contact made and uh, and a kind of a base established about way forward. And although it didn't seem that the Nordics were um, happy about the reptilians, mm. you know, what's really amazing is that Bill had been going to this locale, which I've been to on a field trip um, for ages, and it was a very remote area. It's not now. It's it's quite um, common for dog walkers and all the rest of it. But then hardly anybody went there. And suddenly from being a, a real remote place, suddenly the Nordics turn up. And within a few days, then he has a reptilian experience. And you think, what a what what has happened? What's changed to uh, create this? So this environment, maybe there's a portal there that's been mm-hmm. activated. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I mean, that sounds fantastical, I know. But that we know that there are points in the earth, all over the earth, Absolutely. where maybe at certain times and maybe sometimes all the time, depending on the construction of the geography or mm-hmm. geophysical structures, that, um, you know, different uh, properties emerge. And these might also entail what Sixtopaz well would cause a, Z- a Zendra or a portal. So right. who quite knows? Who quite but, knows, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's very different. But what is interesting, just to finish with the Nordic story, is Bill had gone to this location um, on his bicycle. And when he came back, it was it was time to go and fetch his little sister. So he's a bit concerned about that uh, because he was running a little bit late. So um, he went to find his bike where he knew he'd put it and suddenly there was no bike. And so he's searching frantically for it. And just as he thinks, oh, it's gone, it's been stolen, although there was nobody in the area, um, he was gonna have to run like heck to, to get to her. Um, suddenly he says the space people were instantly there with his bike hmm. and they handed it to him yeah i remember and, reading that that's yeah <laughs> and I, mean, I, I mean how how bizarre what were they going to take it were they going to what were they going to do with it i mean or i mean or, or had somebody stolen it and they were returning it could be well, we i think know. it's all on the table i remember reading I that and I, I remember poor bill was thinking at the time because i think his father got it for him and he was trying to figure out what he was going to tell his father because i don't think right, he was supposed to even so be poor. there right yeah. right that's right. Well, so he didn't, you know, he, he typical little boy, typical boys generally, he didn't yeah. think anything more of it and just rushed off to go and get his sister and do his duty, his domestic duty. And so, you know, he said, but before he knew it, he didn't hear anything and they were gone again. They were gone again. Um, so that was, you know, absolutely fascinating. And he said, and they just seemed very friendly and very nice. But I tell you what, I, for one, would like to sit down and have a chat with them and ask them what the heck has, you know, what the heck is the point of Bill's experience, which has been 
very traumatic. Absolutely. Not that that was traumatic, right. but uh, the rest of it uh, over the years. Mm. And <laughs> do you yes. think they know? Do you think they know? Do you yes. think that any of these components, when I say components, I mean these v variety of species are all playing a role in a much bigger, I'm going to use the word play, if you will, that they're each meant to play a distinct role in one seamless whole, uh, you know, it, I mean, I'm saying that because as I'm thinking. You know, thinking you can read it like that and, and, and there, there is a valid, you know, a, a valid reason for, for thinking that. But, you know, there are so many variables and so mm. many things that we don't know and, and can't know just at the moment. It's very difficult to be absolutely certain I don't know that we uh, about ever it. Be. But I would say, you know, as you say, everything's on the table. Everything. You know, after yeah. working with Bill and he's still hearing him, you know, we're in regular conversation and touch. Um, he's in over in Wales. Um, but, you know, he's often uh, <laughs> ringing me with, oh, my God, I just remembered this. I remembered another abduction. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> I can't take this How anymore. How many can a man have? <laughs> and even at, at this point, you're you're on the receiving end of this going, okay, here we go again. Wow. Let me ask you uh, this. I, I've got to, let's see if I can park one question that I wanted to ask and not lose it and ask this question. Uh, I don't think you brought this up. You're saying that Bill is still getting recall, almost like a dream yeah. that you wake up in the morning, forget, and then out of the blue, you get, oh, I remember this. I remember that. Okay. So that's still happening. Are the abductions or visits still happening in any way, shape, or form? That he's... Not, not so far. Not so far. I don't think he's had an abduction now for about six years. He's, um, where is he now? He's 67 now. I think it's been about six years, something along, so, so not that long ago, not considering long ago. all yeah. his entire life has been. Right. And you know what he said also, and this is an interesting point to make, which I, I think is very pertinent. He said, you see, you have to understand that this is a man where black's black, white's white, and just mm. don't give me any rubbish in between. He's not having it. He's not into the psychic, the spiritual, mm. the E.T., do not, you know, do that. Anyway, so after, so this is pre-44. And so that's why there was this horrible schism between him and his dear brother, who on his deathbed, which was only six months before he had the download. What a really? shame. Oh, my that goodness. That he actually accused him, Bill, of being part of the whole thing and said that he too, with his injuries or his deformities, had been part of an ET experiment. I mean, what a horrible, shocking thing to say to Bill on his deathbed. And poor Bill then was absolutely nonplussed. He had no idea why his brother was so furious and angry with him. Uh, you know, well, we know because Bill wouldn't give any credence to the fact that mm. he reported seeing him being taken when he was a kid when right. they shared rooms. This is good timing. I, I'd love for you to go into this a little bit more. Was his brother's name Brian? Was it Brian? No, that was his cousin. His cousin. Okay. I don't know that the, the brother's name, well, it, it doesn't really Trevor. matter. Trevor. You said Trevor? I think it's Trevor in the book. Okay. Let's, let's stick with this for a little bit because this too is yet another component that can be plugged into this absolute matrix puzzle, whatever you want to call it. I, let's talk about the, the abductions from the bedroom. And this is where I, from my understanding that Trevor would have witnessed and perhaps been a part of his own uh, E.T. encounters. Um, I, I found this also quite interesting. His uh, that Bill would he, he I guess he shared a bedroom with his brother, 
And yes, at one point. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's get into that. And then maybe we can say, go back to where this sort of animosity came from, unfortunately, so close to his brother's uh, passing over. And yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a little bit. The- yeah. I, I mean, um, it, it's so many strange things happen to young Bill. Um, and, and of course he had no idea what was really going on because everything that happened to him was immediately expunged from his mind. So imagine living a life, if you can, where, you know, half of it you're unconscious of. Mm. And, uh, you, you know, this is a, is a real material experiences too. This isn't something that is fey or imaginary. This is, you know, knock on wood stuff. I'm talking about knocking on wood. At one time, for whatever reason, and isn't this interesting, Bill used to go inside the wardrobe to wait for them to come and take him. Now, quite a few children have reported, uh, in America they call it the closet, in in England the wardrobe perhaps, or the cupboards, um, that they would be taken from. And it's it's, it's as if they were, as if the structure maybe also lent itself to the process of, who knows what, uh, uh, you know, at least abduction, at least having these weird experiences. And uh, Bill had many, but as sometimes he would get bored waiting for them to come and he would start picking off, picking away at the struts in the wardrobe. So when his father found out that he was destroying the wardrobe from the inside, he would lock it. So so Bill then would wait by the window, you know, hands under his chin, um, you know, with his brother in the bone, <laughs> and he didn't know what was going on. But, you know, the thing is, like a lot of kids as well, and this is another very interesting point, they talk about the sense of being able to fly. I think even Whitley Strieber talked about this. Mm, yeah. And um, I know that Bill has an, an experience uh, very clearly when it came back of being taken through the window and uh, he was flying out to meet the craft. And he remembers the experience of flying, the wind in the hair, and and you know, around the kids, he'd he'd try and jump off a, a you know roof of a shed and stuff like that, and wonder why he couldn't fly. So um, <laughs> it's funny men- and not at the same time, but I can it, just it, see through the little, a little child's seen- eyes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things he did, and he says it's the, the funniest thing, and he never he never tried flying again. <laughs> in the physical body and and that is um that he went to the swimming pool and he was telling everybody he was going to fly off the top board <laughs> oh my god and he he did fly off the top board already right into a belly flop which hurt like heck <laughs> so you're in he the said, 3d I learned, all right <laughs> i learned i learned my lesson and i didn't try the flying business anymore but he funny? has honestly so many things that happened to him but you know just to touch base with the um with the reptilian if Mm. we have time for that Mm -hmm. because he again he was all very young at this stage and he was again around about nine or ten i'm going to say ten we've kind of put it at that age um so this is about just a week or so after the nordic event there's um again i've been to these areas i've done the field trip i've seen where it happened um, behind um, the field where the craft was and where Bill went uh, was in the crop circle, there's a little bridge, lovely little uh, brick bridge, about eight foot tall, and uh, then there's um, a, a little canal underneath it, and um, and he would 
go up the canal and he would fish. And he said, you know, during this time, again, you'd be hard pushed to see anybody for a month. He said, month on month, year on year, you'd hardly see anybody there. It was just not a place people frequented. And he said this one time he'd got his fishing line, homemade fishing line in the water. And, and he was standing on the opposite bank to where the field would have been. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, out of nowhere, it's as if they popped, I guess, like out of a cookie cutter. <laughs> there were about four reptilians. And he was so astonished that he stood there agape. And he said, I know they must have been around seven or eight foot tall because as they came down by the bridge, that I know how tall the bridge is. And he said, and the one came into the water and we're talking just a few feet across, mm, possibly 10, 12 feet across. I don't think it's any more than that. It came up very close to him and just up to his head. Now, the canal's not very deep, so it must have been crouching in the water. And all of a sudden, Bill has no memory. He blacks out. And when he comes to, he sort of shakes his head and he thinks, what? What, what was that? He remembered seeing the other reptilians, but it was like a hazy dream, which you, which you forget. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, he finds, he looks to see where his fishing rod is. And it's another 20, I can't remember if he said yards or feet now, up the river, uh, up the canal. And as he goes to find it, there's a poor fish on there. And normally he would catch fish and put them back in, in the uh, water. But this one had been on the line so long it had got its jaw ripped out, which was such a horrible thing. So he was very sad about that. And then, now he's not remembering anything, but he's beginning to get a sense that something weird is going on. So now, once again, no memory. He's got the fish thing. And so he begins to go to places which are a higher viewpoint in the locale. And this one day, not far in time-wise, within the next few days, he's looking across at the field and it's got a little bit of a slope to it. Mm -hmm. And he's observing from this peak area four beings walking up the field, which then go onto all fours. And he somehow recognizes them as reptilians. And then they go into the woods, which is just at the far side. Now, he thought, what the heck's that? And he's a bold little fellow, and his bedtime was always quite early, always about eight o'clock. His parents were quite strict. However, he nothing would keep Bill in. <laughs> so Bill would nip out late at night, and he would do, you know, some of his, his just looking around in nature, but he had gone to the woods earlier and built a little hideaway. And he was very good at this building. You know, it was really hidden away. So he could really, like a hide, so he could watch whatever was going on. So come his bedtime and a few hours later, he was off and out of the house <laughs> and into his hide. And the next thing he knows is that he sees these eyes, which seem to be, he says they seem to have a bit of a glow to them. And the next thing he remembers is that he is being yanked bodily, physically, out of his hide. And the next memory, 
he has no memory of that suddenly, instantly, all gone. But in the recall of age 44, he remembers that and he remembers the next morning standing at a gate with a reptilian and then nothing else. Now, Bill used to be found sleeping under the hedge of his parents' house, well, where he lived. Mm -hmm. I've been to that location as well. There was a privet hedge and people going off to work in the morning would report to his parents that there's Bill outside again. He's under the <laughs> And on this occasion, you know, he had no idea what had happened. He just woke up. Of course, he couldn't get back in. And um, he was scratched from, from, you know, top to toe. And his mother said to him, where on earth did you get those scratches? What happened to you? Mm -hmm. And they had a gooseberry bush at the bottom of their garden. He said, oh, I think I fell in the gooseberry bush. Oh, my God. Because he didn't want to tell. He didn't want to tell them. <clears throat> excuse me, what was he, going he on. I think. Know. Right. He right. He didn't know. Oh, he, he didn't know something. at the time. Okay. Because his memory had instantly been wiped again. But of but he ha was beginning to just sense that something was going on. Okay. But the entire incident was wiped from his mind until he was 44. Can you imagine this guy growing up, believing nothing of this? Not. <laughs> Can you imagine what that does to a person? Oh, it oh, has to turn you inside God. out. Absolutely. Well, you know what? Let's. Do I'm looking at the clock, and guess what time it is? 44, 44. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Here we go. I, I'm looking at the clock and it's 44 minutes and into our interview. And then it hit 44, 44. How's that for a synchronicity? Amazing. There you go, Bill Brooks. No relation to me, guys. Alexis Brooks, by the way. And <laughs> would it be fair to say that this this is a pseudonym? Is this not his real name? It isn't his real mm. name. And you know the reason the reason why let's talk about that yeah I, yeah I it'd be okay it to bring is that because up. as we got close to publishing which was just may last year bill got very nervous mm. he got quite scared because he has a, a young son i mean he's a, a young adult and um both he and his son have suffered enormously mainly at the hands i'm just going to say it straight out of freemasonic people mm. and um and 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 all of the abduction stuff, um, his, you know, there was lots of paranormal stuff going on that his son was, you know, was was part of, had seen, and and he was present at. So this is a massive, massive thing. And mm -hmm. he was very concerned for his son's safety more than anything, because of what they'd been through. Because mm -hmm. you know, really, people had tried to kill them. They'd been threatened, and. You know, and, and these are, are poor people. These aren't people with lots of resources mm -hmm. able to, you know, do much. Um, you know, and when you have a seven-year-old boy, oh, you know, with his dad just looking out over a nice view and it's over a cliff edge and his, the little boy just says, Dad, shall we just go over? Because mm -hmm. of the immense trauma, even at that age that he... This is what his son said to him? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Well, see, this is where we go from, this brings me all the way back, Joanne, to why we have conversations like this um, go into, even if it sounds, it sounds, it's, it's fantastical and it's even entertaining to some people, but this is not why we're doing this. We're doing this for what you just mentioned, that it could be a life or death situation for someone that's going through something like this. And in yes. many cases, they feel so alone. They feel maybe they're going insane. I have heard of 
instances of little children wanting to commit suicide. So for the record, folks, this is why we're doing it. It's not for curiosity's sake. It's because I think it's crucial. It's critical. Listen, I want to get a couple more things in and I... I, This is going to be another part two, folks. I think I, I think it's going to be one of those guests that we're going to have to have on. You tell me. Would you want to hear more? What I'm going to say is you got to get this book, and we'll have you on for part two. But I'm telling everyone you got to go out and get this. Um, I'm wondering if we have time. Why not? Let's can can we dive into the speaking of you know outside entities or other entities, parts of mm-hmm. his life that you would seem on the surface wouldn't be connected, but apparently are. Let's talk about his time in the army and his witnessing oh. of an army abduction event. Do we have, oh, can we go there? Is oh, there yeah. any way you can put that in synopsis form if you can? I, I, I will I will try and okay. be as speedy as possible. Basically, at uh, 18 years old in 1968, Bill joined the army and the regiment that he joined was a nuclear regiment, which was in Senelager in Germany. And guess what, folks? I mean, you couldn't flipping well make this up. He was based with personnel from Area 51. Mm. In that time in 1968, nobody knew anything about Area 51. Not really, not not generally. He certainly didn't. It's just what he was told by, you know, by a colleague. Mm. And within days of being there, I mean, literally days. So he's a brand new soldier. And at this point, as he joins this regiment, um, he pals up with a guy we call John, well, is John. And um, most of the team, most of the regiment are away on an exercise, a live firing exercise that happens once a year. So the people that are left in the camp number around about 16. So uh, they, these guys are sent off to do a little exercise. They're still doing little exercises and they're basically sent off to do guard duty. So they do guard duty. Now they think that they're under a simulation still Uh, process so you know they could get attacked and they have to deal with it or tell the NCO that kind of scenario so suddenly so they've been there a couple of hours it should have been a two hours on two hours off i.e they were relieved after two hours that didn't happen but boys being boys they were enjoying their cigarette and thought we'll just stay here because if we go back maybe we'll have to do some work (laughs) right right so anyway so maybe another hour or so in um they start seeing Bill start seeing this mist, orange mist coming down, and he he, he alerts John who hadn't seen it, and he says, "Oh, it must be um, you know simulated gas attack." Quick, let's yeah. get back to camp. So they get back to camp, tell the NCO who goes, "Don't know what you're talking about. We've been stood down. No more exercises," and so nobody had thought to tell the guys. Everybody was asleep in their you know beds wherever those beds were. And um, funnily enough, I got Bill to draw me a map on this field trip that I did with him. So I had an exact idea of what I was looking at in the space. We're talking about the geographical space. Mm-hmm. And um, he, so, the, so there was nothing more to do. There was nothing going on. So they needed to find themselves a bed. And the only place left was the top of a Saracen vehicle, which had all the Hessian and all the covering that they use for, you know, masking it um, in the field. And, you know, that made a comfy bed. So they were having a last cigarette. And suddenly Bill and John are noticing, again, these lights and this mist. And he said, it's very weird. It almost looks like there's little white parachutes coming down. Very strange. Hmm. And then he starts seeing the men moving. And they seem to be in some kind of trance-like state. And he thinks, what the, what is that? 
And with no more ado, being Bill being Bill, always off on an adventure, he starts getting down from the um, Saracen, which, he, you know, little ladder up the side of it. Meanwhile, John has spotted across in the woods, which were nearby, some people coming out with guns. And he's shouting to Bill to get back up. Don't go, don't go, don't go. And anyway, Bill's all just about to hit the ground and he's confronted by a guy dressed in black with a little blue swatch on, I think, his right arm, right shoulder. And sounds like he's an American. Um, crew cut. And he looks at Bill. And there is a big light in the field at this point, by the way, guys. Big, big light that these soldiers are just, you know, hypnotically moving toward as if they were in a trance. And they didn't even look like they were walking. They looked like they were floating. And Bill is told in no uncertain terms to walk toward the light. And then he hears John again. His attention is distracted by John shouting, you know, get back. And um, all of a sudden, this large weapon is cocked right at his head. And the guy says, now walk into the light. And so he does. And he actually follows Bill to make sure he goes into this, whatever this light is. It was so bright he could hardly look at it. And uh, the next morning is what he recalled. He was on parade with these high up brass, you know, that sort of people of very high rank, which is very unusual. But as Bill says, he was a brand new soldier. He didn't actually realize this was anything unusual, of course, until a little bit more time in the army. Then you realize it was very unusual. Mm. And not only that, there are these guys around them with these guns just, you know, kind of on the perimeter. And there are these guys, and some of them are in what we call BDs, that's battle dress. Now, battle dress in the UK was phased out in the 50s. And okay, so some, some parts of the uniform, the old uniform, were still utilized. But what Bill noticed was there seemed to be more than a bit, you know, they, a lot of people wearing the BDs. And he didn't think anything of it. Again, he's a new guy because, of course, it's fatigues mm -hmm. um, these days. And um, they were made, they were told that they were not to talk about anything that had happened the previous night. And John is whispering in Bill's ear saying, do you remember, do you remember? Well, Bill had no idea. They were brilliant at wiping his mind. But somehow John remembered and John knew. And um, they were made to sign yet another, he assumes, official secrets act or disclosure form or whatever it was he'd already signed one being part of a nuclear regiment and um that was the last that he remembered of that incident during the download so we don't know what happened when he went into the light but what is absolutely astonishing and amazing to me uh, and i haven't heard many stories or any other stories of like this is where someone was at gunpoint told to go into the light where there was, you know, so then you say, well, is this purely a military event? Mm -hmm. Because clearly that light thing was something other than a craft, I mean, a, a, an aircraft, a, a regular human aircraft. So, you know, the begs the question, was this done in collusion with who, who we don't know the beings? We just, just don't know. So what is, what is that? What's because that? within a week, Bill has, with John, another abduction experience, which I won't go into. I know we don't have time. But, you know, guys, 
<laughs> it is extraordinary. And Bill's time in the army, um, you know, he was sent on an MK um, Ultra-esque type of mind control brainwashing um, mm-hmm. event as well, which was absolutely fascinating. Shocking. Fascinating. That's absolutely shocking. Fascinating and, and shocking. Right. All of the above. I, I recall yeah, all of that. The above, gonna... Because what all this has done to Bill is to rob him <sighs> of a great part of his life. And, um, you know, I have to say, brilliant guy that, that he is and, and brilliantly how he has dealt with it. You know, he he really says that he is um, has suffered because of it. Of course. And, you, you know, he he has lost, uh, again, friends and other people who have called him a liar. And even even when he went to look for his regiment and um, and you know, told a little bit of his story. There are people just out there ready to tear him down. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it, how we don't have the tolerance to accept, in the main, frequently, um, what somebody might have been through. Uh, And and his case is extreme, there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. But that in and of itself, Joanne, begs uh, begs a whole other conversation about the, pro- the levels of programming and indoctrination into status quo in an effort to veer people away from the the possibility of such a thing being a real um, part of reality. That's a yes. whole other thing. Maybe it's a conspiracy. I don't know. There's a lot. Of, there's so many components here. Um, this is going to be a massive cliffhanger. There were a bunch of questions I'm just not going to have a chance to get into, but we're, we're going to wind down at this point. But um we are going to have you back. Uh, I, I think this really deserves uh, just, you know, another another dive in. Um, but I, I don't think even the next show could do it. I think the only way, and I'm, folks, I'm not just plugging this book because it's my buddy Joanne here. <laughs> it's all of that and, and more. It's just something that, and you, you said something really important um, in really... Uh, putting a focus on the fact that this poor man has suffered so, so much. Sure, there are little moments of humor in the in the, in the retelling of story. Oh, absolutely. If it wasn't oh, for that, a- I probably would have been in tears uh, because w- what you walk away from this story in totality with is extreme suffering, extreme tumult. You know, it sounds like he's he's rather slight guy. He's not a big, big guy. You know, you just kind of get this no, complete he's picture petite. of him. Yeah. Um, here's something that I want to bring up as we close out, because this is precious to me. We didn't even get a chance to talk about his, his love of music and his brushes with major figures in the, in the, in the music scene in the UK at that time. Oh, yes. He's, he's, after the army, he spent his life as a professional musician between your driving job. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. But, you know, I, I thought, I thought about that. His love, his absolute love of music and his absolute love of nature. This to me, Joanne, is his saving grace. Uh, you know, and, that's what saved him. For I sure. believe that is his saving grace to this day. And his son. Yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, he said he would not be alive if it wasn't for his son. Yeah. No two ways about oh, that. I, I can, I can believe that. But you know, yeah. I wonder when, when you think of an individual and you think of an individual that's so, dynamic i would call this person a dynamic person uh his love for nature his love for music and talent for music paired with all of these other components still there's something very curious about 
this type of an individual having a love of nature, nature's a powerful thing. Yeah. Having, yes. you, you talk about the animals, uh, is having an affinity for animals or really they having an affinity for him and coming up to him. For sure. There's something about this man's energy that magnetizes all of these experiences, whether good or the most heinous of heinous. I, I'm really struggling to find the words to describe it, but all of these things are connected, I feel. Mm. This is where we're going to have to, we're going to have to leave it there and maybe pick up on that theme when you come back. I really do want to have you back uh, in, in short order because um, this is well, a I tell you, I tell you what, when, when, um, when we do that, come back and um, talk about the telephone call he had to try and find John. 40 years yes. later after right. the event. Oh, I, I think I read that as well. <laughs> Have we teased this enough? 44, based on an ex-soldier's true story by Joanne Summerscales and Bill Brooks. Uh, where can we learn more about your work, Joanne? Because you've got quite a story too, and you're doing some stellar work as a, a consummate researcher, by the way. How can people oh, find out more you. about you? Um, well, um, Amash um, uh, morphed into the ET newsroom, and there is a website of that same name out there, and I still mm. have the same uh, UK mobile number for anybody who wants to contact by phone in the UK to tell their story or to connect or text or whatever. And um, and I do still support people and speak to people on Excellent. Skype or, or by phone or whatever. So, you know, and uh, interestingly enough, when I started Amash, I, I just thought it would be a regional thing where I was uh, originally. And then I, I knew it had to be a, a UK thing. And then blow me down. Honestly, I began getting calls from all over the world. Mm. I was astonished because, of course, in America, it's well known that there's a lot of support, move on and all the rest of that. But somehow, I don't know, something what I, that I was doing, mm. um, you know, people responded to. And so I've got some very interesting cases. And the next um, book will be a compilation of some of those interviews, which are, are absolutely staggering. I know uh, that. I know they will Stop. be. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, again, stellar work, um, Joanne. Godspeed. Keep up the important work. Please let uh, Bill Brooks know that I, as well as our well-wishing audience, um, wish him well and wish yes, him a measure you. of calm and enjoyment and perhaps a little a little bit better health Um we're, yes, we're praying indeed. for him. We really are. Yeah, that's really that's really nice. And thank you very much. And I just didn't say that um, if anybody does want to contact me, it's the in, info at the etnewsroom.com. And I'll just leave it at that. Beautiful. But, well, we're, we'll uh, obviously make sure we have a link both to the website as well as yeah. the email to get a hold of Joanne yeah. Summerscales. Joanne, lovely, lovely to talk to you. And we're looking forward to having you back real soon. Thanks. So and much. thank you, Alexis. It's, it's been great. 44, an ex-soldier's true story is a stunning and disturbing journey with twists and turns that could easily be ranked among the best of the best of sci-fi or thriller novels. Except for one thing, this story is not make-believe. And Bill Brooks, though tough and resilient, has at 67 years suffered tremendously for what the Nordics implied would be a purpose integral in saving the Earth. Though Bill nor Joanne still don't know exactly how this will be accomplished, one thing is for sure. The journey, the odyssey, that is the life of Bill Brooks continues. 
And with that, the book is still being written. I hope you'll pick up a copy of 44. You can, of course, learn more about it at Joanne Summerscale's website, theetnewsroom.com, which we'll have linked directly on our website. Thank you for tuning in to this fascinating discussion on Higher Journeys Radio. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.